0: Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Joanna Cherry. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister.
1: Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, immediately after Prime Minister's questions, I, along with other members of this House, will be watching a parade of 120 members of the British Army into Parliament. They're representing the breadth of the 50,000 regular and reserve army personnel This is an opportunity for us to thank them for their tireless work to keep our country safe. This afternoon, Mr Speaker, I will be hosting a reception for World Mental Health Day. I am delighted that this week the UK hosted the first ever global ministerial summit on mental health with a landmark agreement to achieve equity for mental health. This morning, I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
2: Joanna
0: Cherry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, the Polish community have long made a valuable contribution to Scottish society. My Polish constituent is a young man who's lived in Scotland since he was six, yet when he applied for Job Seekers Allowance last month, he failed the habitual residency test. Even the DWP... Cannot understand the Kafka S letter he's been sent. Like the Windrush scandal, is this the shape of things to come for EU citizens in the oh, United yeah, Kingdom? Yeah.
0: Yeah
1: to the hon. Lady, as she knows, first of all, as part of the negotiations with the European Union, we have already come to agreements about the rights that will be available to those EU citizens who are living here in the United Kingdom already. We have uh, set out very clearly what will be the situation for those who come to uh, the United Kingdom during the implementation period. And uh, I also was able to uh, update people a few weeks ago to make clear that in a no-deal arrangement as, as well, we will also, ensure that we look after those EU citizens who have come yeah. here and made their home here as for the individual case I'm sure that the department of work and pensions will be looking into this in some detail
0: and mrs Pauline Latham yeah. What, what, yeah. What steps
3: government taking to encourage more tourists to enjoy
4: the performing arts outside of London?
0: Can I can I first of all
3: thank
1: my honourable friend for highlighting the issue of performing arts and that there indeed there are some great uh, performing arts to be seen around the country. Uh, but she's also a performing arts ambassador, so I congratulate on her on her work on uh, that. Uh, and we're committed to supporting the UK's tourism industry and spreading the wealth it produces across the country, what uh, we set out in our tourism action plan. But we are providing funding for the performing arts throughout the country, that includes investing £78 million in a new theatre and arts complex, the factory, which is a home for Manchester International Festival, that will encourage international collaborations, investment and visitors, and £5 million in the redevelopment of Colston Hall, the south-west's major concert venue, to make it fit for the 21st century, performing arts being encouraged around the whole country. Yeah.
0: Jeremy
3: Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will join me in expressing our deepest sympathies to the people of Sulawesi in Indonesia following the earthquake and tsunami in which 1,500 people have died. We obviously wish them well on their rebuilding of their communities. And could we also take this opportunity to thank all those officers and ratings from the Royal Navy who did so much to help during the emergency at that time? Uh, Mr. Speaker, today is World Mental Health Day. And today, there are 5,000 fewer mental health nurses than there were in 2010. The Prime Minister said last week that austerity is over. When will austerity be over for the mental health services? First of all, can I uh, join the right
1: honourable gentleman in expressing our... uh, condolences to those who were affected and and our thoughts with all those who were affected by what happened in Indonesia I'm pleased to say that obviously the Department for International Development was able to respond to that, I understand that the DEC appeal is now up to £10 million as well and as the Right Honourable Gentleman said obviously we were able to put uh, uh, support in kind in through the support that was available from our armed forces and indeed from others and I commend all those who have been working so hard in uh, in that area. Now here Raises the issue of mental health, and I'm pleased he's raised the issue of mental health because this is a government that is actually ensuring that mental health is given the attention that it needs. It is is this government that has ensured that there will be parity of esteem for mental health and physical health in the National Health Service, and it is this government that is putting record levels of funding into mental health. But I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, If he's saying to me, do we still need to do more on mental health? And I say, yes, we do. That is exactly why we are setting out further steps today, particularly to improve the mental health of children and young people. But also I'm very pleased that my honourable friend, the member for Thurrock, uh, is taking on the responsibility as the Minister for Suicide Prevention. The first time a government has had a minister appointed to such a post. This government takes mental health seriously. That's why we're putting record levels of funding into mental health.
3: Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, it was a Labour amendment to the Health and Social Care Act that put parity of esteem on the face of the legislation. It was opposed by her government. Yeah. Yeah. And, if, uh, and if she thinks that uh, mental health spending is going well, then maybe she should have told the Health Secretary this. Because this morning he said it's still way off where we need to be. Yeah. The Royal College of Psychiatrists has found that income income of The income of mental health trusts in England was lower than it was six years ago, and children are being sent as much as 300 miles away for urgent treatment. It needs urgent action now. Mr Speaker, people in every village, town and city know that violent crime is rising. 21,000 police officers have been cut. 7,000 police and community support officers have gone. When will austerity be over for the police? First of all,
1: in relation to the mental health issue, I have just said that I think there is more for us to do on mental health, and as part of our our long-term plan for the National Health Service, we will be doing more. I might remind the Right Honourable Gentleman that our plans for the National Health Service will see £394 million more a week going into our National Health Service. He, he asked me, uh, then he asked me about the issue of uh, policing, and, of course, what we have seen is this government has made, including uh, the precept on council tax, has made 460 million more pounds available for policing in this, uh, in this current year. And if he's so concerned about funding for policing, why did the Labour Party oppose that extra money?
3: Mr. Speaker, if austerity is over for the police then it doesn't seem that she's told the police federation about this because they are currently taking the government to court for failing to implement the decision of the independent pay review body our dedicated police officers and pcsos deserve better than they get from this government in the last year in the last year the in the last year the <laughs> thank you mr speaker last year, the Education Secretary has been rebuked four times by the Statistics Watchdog for making false claims about education funding. I know the Prime Minister is a stickler for accuracy, so given her commitment to ending austerity, can she confirm that austerity is now over for all teachers who will receive the independently recommended 3.5% pay rise?
1: Can I say to the right honourable gentleman that, in, as regards the issue of, uh, of policing, and he talked about the police pay award. In fact, this award does represent the highest consolidated pay award since 2010. Now he then goes on. He then goes on to talk about. He then goes on to talk about about funding for schools and what is happening in relation to schools. He knows the announcement that has been made in relation to the teachers' pay award, but I might just remind him that school funding this year is at a record high. With the extra £1.3 1.3 we have put in this year and next, per pupil funding is being protected in real terms. I recognise I the pressures that schools are under, but I also recognise That we now see 1.9 million more children in good and outstanding schools compared to 2010, and part of that, part of that, is because of the reforms we've put forward into education, including the free schools and academies. Free schools and academies, which the Labour Party would abolish.
0: Jeremy
3: Corbyn. The reality is that over half of teachers are getting another real-terms pay cut next year. They've been subject to eight years of pay freezes and pay rises capped below inflation. It's no wonder there's a chronic shortage of teachers and the government has again failed to hit its recruitment target for new teachers. The Conservative leader of Northamptonshire said, and I quote, they couldn't cope with the levels of cuts. The Conservative leader of Somerset says, I feel abandoned. There are no solutions coming. So, will the Prime Minister listen to her own council leaders and end austerity as she promised last week? Yeah. Well, can I say to the right hon. Gentleman, first of all, in
1: relation to teachers in our schools. In fact, there are more teachers in our schools now, and we see more people applying to uh, to be teachers. And I recognise the very hard work that our teachers put in day in and day out, and the good results that our children are getting are a result of uh, their hard work and the hard work of their teachers. He refers to Northamptonshire County Council. Of course, the independent inspection was clear that failures at the Council were not due to a lack of funding. We have backed councils. We have backed councils in England. Uh, between 2015 and 2020 £200 billion are available to deliver the local services that their communities want to see. So we are going to see an increase of £1.3 billion in the money available to councils over the next two years. Extra money was uh, announced at the uh, uh, conference in relation to, at our party conference in relation to social care and councils have access to over £9.6 billion of, uh, of dedicated funding in relation to this. And there is a, a 31 million increase for rural services yes we have had to make tough decisions and yes councils have been asked to make tough decisions the reason we had to do that the reason we had to do that was because of the reason we had to do that was because of the state of the public finances and the economy we were left by the labor government people People have made sacrifices, and they need to know that their hard work has paid off. And yes, better times are ahead under a Conservative Government. Yeah.
3: It might be a good idea Mr. Speaker, if the ti- Prime Minister took a few minutes out of a very busy day to listen to some teachers and the stress they are going through. Yeah. And the number of newly qualified teachers that feel they cannot carry on anymore and leave the profession that they love. The National Audit Office has found that local government funding from central government has been cut by 49% since 2010. And next year, government funding for councils is going to be cut by a further £1.3 The Institute for Fiscal Studies has said that 75% of the social security cuts announced in 2015 have yet to come into effect. 2.7 billion will be cut from working age benefits next year alone. Can the Prime Minister confirm this swinging austerity on the lowest paid and the disabled people in our society will now end, as she said last week? Can I say to the
1: right hon. Gentleman that what we see in the changes that we are putting forward in relation to welfare reform is encouraging people into work and making sure that when they get into work, work pays. And, and I might also say to him that there are £2.4 billion of unclaimed benefits under the legacy system of the Labour Party. That will be paid to people under universal credit. 700,000 people getting the benefits they're entitled to under universal credit for the future. And he asked me. He asked me about what this government is doing in relation to uh, the end of austerity, and I have been very clear that there are better times ahead for people. We will see see debt falling, and we will see support for our public services going up. Austerity is being brought to an end. What What is not being brought to an end is fiscal responsibility.
3: Mr Speaker, the poorest third of households will lose £745 a year if these cuts go ahead. Just this week, and the Prime Minister should listen to them, the Equality and Human Rights Commission has reported the situation facing those with disabilities has got worse and their rights are being violated in our society. Eight years of painful austerity. Poverty is up homelessness and deaths on our street is up, living standards down, public services slashed and a million elderly are not getting the care they need. Wages have been eroded and all the while, Mr Speaker, all the while, billions were found for tax giveaways for big corporations and the super rich. The Prime Minister, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister declared she is ending austerity. But unless the budget halts the cuts, increases funding to public services, gives our public servants a decent pay rise, then isn't the claim that austerity is over simply a great big Conservative con?
1: I say to the right honourable gentleman, actually, wages are going up. We've increased the national living wage as well. There are one million fewer people in absolute poverty under this government. Under universal credit, one million disabled households will get 110, around £110 pounds a month more as a result of being on use of universal credit. And he talks about cuts. I'll tell him about some cuts that have been of benefit to working people in this country what about the 18.5 billion pounds of income tax cuts that have helped household incomes under this, uh, under this government? what about the cuts that those in their household bills that 11 million households will see as a result of our energy price cut cut and and what about the 46 billion? of cuts through freezing fuel duty that has made a real difference to people's lives. But we know know what would really hurt working people. Labour's plans would cost £1 trillion, £1,000 billion of people's money, uncontrolled borrowing, spiralling taxes, working people paying the price of Labour, yet again Labour taking us back to square one.
4: As always, I'm determined to find plenty of time for backbenchers. Mr. Stephen Hammond.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know my right honourable friend recognises how, how important it is that every child has the opportunity of the best start in life. For the last three years, I've been campaigning to ensure that summer born and prema- premature children have that opportunity. The DFE's recent report contains some statistical oddities, and progress seems to have stalled would my right honourable friend agree to meet with, meet with me and some parents to discuss this matter
1: well thank you can I say thanks to my honourable friend for raising what is I know an important issue an important issue for many parents and we are concerned that some, some are born and prematurely-born children whose parents choose to delay their entry to school until compulsory school age may be missing the essential teaching in a reception year. I understand that DfE is looking at how best to make changes without creating unintended consequences elsewhere in the system, and it is important that they look at it in that sense. I know that the Minister from the Department will be very happy to meet with my hon. Friend to discuss this.
0: Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As you well know, today is world... Mental Health Awareness Day, and I want to congratulate the Prime Minister on her appointment of a Minister for Suicide Prevention. Indeed, in Scotland we have our own Minister for Mental Health and look forward to working closely with the new UK Minister in this important issue. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we must all work to eradicate policies and circumstances that lead to people that believe that suicide is their only option?
1: Can I say to the right hon. Gentleman I think this is it is right that we take this issue of suicide as seriously as we have done. Particularly, there have been obviously concerns raised about the number of young men who, uh, who commit suicide. Uh, and it is important. Obviously, people in a range of different circumstances find themselves uh, are, are in a position where they think about committing suicide. We must do everything that we can to ensure. That people are prevented from committing suicide and that the support is given to people in those
0: circumstances. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I am glad that the Prime Minister agrees with me because, as reported by the Independent, nearly one in every two women taking part in the UK government's work capability assessment say they have attempted suicide after or during the process. Mm-hmm. A series of secret internal inquiries into these reveal that Conservative ministers were repeatedly warned of the policy's shortcomings. Will the Prime Minister commit today to ensuring that her new Minister of Suicide looks at the impact of her government's own social security policies and at long last, Prime Minister, scrap the appalling work capability assessment? Yes!
1: Can I I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, first of all, of course, uh, these were assessments that were introduced by previous government. Uh, it is important that we get these, It is important that we get these assessments uh, right. I think it is right that we are encouraging people into the workplace and wanting to ensure that those people are in the workplace, who, who are able to be in the workplace are given the support to enable them to do that. That is what we want to do. I think it is right that we maintain assessments. Of course, we look at the impact of those assessments. We look at the quality of those assessments. That's work that the DWP does uh, uh, on a, a regular basis. But I think it is important that we are undertaking those assessments.
4: Colin Rake. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, Former Prime Minister Gordon Brown and Head of the Financial Conduct Authority Andrew Bailey have joined the All-Party Group for Fair Business Banking's calls for action against the bankers who cost the UK taxpayers trillions of pounds throughout the financial crisis, none of whom have been fined, banned or prosecuted, despite clear evidence of, and guilt of fraud and malpractice. Would my right honourable friend do all she can to urge and enable regulators and our crime agencies to hold those responsible to account.
1: Well, if I can give my hon. Friend the assurance that since the financial crisis, of course, we have been looking at that uh, regulatory system. We have cre- designed ensured that we have built one of the most robust regulatory systems in the world. It is designed specifically to ensure financial stability and to protect taxpayers. Now, there are a number of measures that we have introduced in relation to the responsibility of uh, those at the top in organisations. In 2016, we brought into force a senior managers and certification regime to hold those at the top personally responsible for wrongdoing. Legislation was also introduced alongside this regime, which ensures bosses whose reckless misconduct causes their institution to fail face up to seven years in prison. And While, of course, these reforms are very recent, and it will take further time before we see the full impact of these reforms, I can say that last year we did see the FCA issuing total fines of £229 million, Against individuals and firms who'd broken FCA's rules. But if I can reassure my honourable friend that we will, of course, continue to remain focused on ensuring uh, that we do build a fairer and more balanced banking system and looking, if there is more that needs to be done, at what we should be doing. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with her work and pension secretary that half of lone parents and around two thirds of working age couples with children under universal credit will lose the equivalent of 2000 £400 pounds a year. and If we are to believe the Prime Minister's pro- promise to end austerity, will she promise today to reverse the £3 billion pounds worth of cuts that are built into the universal credit rollout? Okay say to the Right Honourable Lady that in relation to those people who are being moved on to universal credit as part of the managed migration, we are of course undertaking that. That will start um, later next year. It will be done on a, uh, initially on a small scale basis to ensure that we get that right. But we are putting protections in, transitional protections in for those people. So people who are moved on to universal credit as part of that process will not see uh, any
4: reduction in there. They will be protected. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last week, Access Community Trust, working in conjunction with other low Lowstoft voluntary groups and Waveney District Council, launched the fin Ice project, which will provide emergency accommodation for the homeless, not, during, not just during the period of below zero nighttime temperatures, but for the whole winter period from first November to 28 February. On World Homeless Day, Will the Prime Minister build on the rough sleeping strategy and provide a long term funding system so that charities such as Access Community Trust and St Mungo's can put in place bespoke initiatives that prevent homelessness before anyone actually has to sleep rough? Well, my my honourable friend is absolutely right
1: to raise this issue because we don't want to see anybody uh, having to sleep on the streets. That's why we have committed uh, to. Ensuring that we eradicate, we end rough sleeping by 2027, halve it by 2022. It's why we've, we've, uh, we're, supporting various projects around the country to do this. I recognise the point that he makes about the uh, local authorities, their involvement in this, their need to build capacity and capability in their teams to ensure that they're able to deal with this, and the role that the voluntary sector can play in this as well. Um, We're investing over £3 million a year with the voluntary sector groups to train and advise local authority teams to be able to address these uh, these issues. We want to ensure that rough sleeping becomes a thing of the past.
2: Mr Alistair Carmichael well, Mr. Speaker, Members of the Scottish Fishermen's Federation and the National Federation of Fishermen's Organisations are jointly lobbying Parliament today. They ask for a very simple undertaking from the Prime Minister, namely that in negotiating the Brexit deal, she will not trade away the right to fish in UK waters. Will the Prime Minister give our fishermen that undertaking?
1: Well, can I say to the right hon. Gentleman, I absolutely recognise the important, importance of the fishing industry, which it plays across the UK, but particularly in Scotland. And can I reassure him that as we are going through these negotiations, we've been very clear that once um, the uh, EU rules no longer apply to the United Kingdom... We will be an independent coastal state, and we will be making those decisions. We will be controlling access to our own waters, and we will be seeking to gain a fairer share of quotas.
0: Henry Smith. uh.
4: Mr Speaker, in 2005, the then Labour Government closed accident and emergency at Crawley Hospital. I am delighted that my right hon. Friend has committed to additional resources for the National Health Service, including part of the Brexit dividend. Uh, can I get an assurance that the uh, upcoming NHS plan will include a return of local services at its heart?
2: Yes. yes.
4: Can I say to my honourable friend that
1: absolutely uh, I can give that assurance? Obviously, the long term plan for the National Health Service is being developed by the National Health Service in conjunction with clinicians and people at a local level but it is absolutely clear that we need to ensure that we recognise the importance that those community services um, provide. And as my uh, honourable friend says, it is this government that is not only putting in place a long-term plan to support the National Health Service, but also that longer-term funding for the National Health Service, which will see the biggest cash boost ever in the national history of the National Health Service. Jim
4: McMahon. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
4: Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, modern slavery is a scourge on our society affecting thousands of victims, including Jan, who was living in an attic in Alden and forced to work without any pay by his gang matters for six years. Will the PM uh, join me in congratulating the work of business like the Co-op Group, who offer paid work placements to help victims rebuild their lives? But pr- can the Prime Minister also explain why then it's taken the government Uh, five months to get round to recruiting the anti-slavery commissioner's
0: post.
1: Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that I think, as he will know, modern slavery is an issue which I have taken a particular interest in and worked on particularly. and I am proud of the impact that our Modern Slavery Act is having, Uh, but sadly we do see people being effectively enslaved, continuing to be effectively enslaved in this country. We're seeing more cases where people are being prosecuted, the criminals are being prosecuted, but we do need to ensure that the support is available. I certainly commend um, the i think it was the co-op that he referenced and other businesses who are working to help people who have been the victims of modern slavery. My right hon. Friend, the International Development Secretary, tells me that when she chaired a session at Unger in relation to modern slavery, this question of the role of the private sector was one that was particularly given uh, a prominence, and we will Continue to do all we can to ensure we're dealing with the issue of modern slavery.
2: Mr. Kenneth Clark! Mr. Speaker, it's obvious that the biggest task facing the Prime Minister this winter is firstly to obtain a compromise agreement with the other 27 European governments on the terms of our withdrawal and then to win the approval of this House, a majority in this House. For that same agreement or something like it in a meaningful vote on the terms of our departure. Uh, does she equally accept that the maths makes it obvious that that majority can only be re- obtained if the agreement retains the support of the pro-European Conservative backbenchers in this House and also wins the support? Of a significant number of Labour backbenchers, pro-European backbenchers on the other side of the house, which would reveal that the hardline Eurosceptic views of the Bennites on the Labour front bench and the right-wing nationalist now party are a minority in this Parliament. Will she therefore proceed courageously on that basis in the formidable task that lies ahead of her? simply say to my right
1: honourable and learned friend, what we are working to is to ensure that we get a good agreement for the United Kingdom, an agreement which delivers on the vote that the people took in the referendum to leave the European Union, to bring an end to the jurisdiction of the European Court, to bring an end to free movement, to bring an end to sending vast sums of money every year to the European Union, but does it in a way that protects jobs, that ensures no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. I would hope that when we uh, come back, am we are working for that deal, when we come back with a deal, I would hope that everybody across this whole House will put the national interest first, yeah. that everybody across this whole House will look not only at a good deal for the future of the United Kingdom, but will also remember that having given the decision as to whether we stay in the European Union or not to the British people, the British people having voted to leave
0: it is our duty to ensure that we leave. You grant. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday we marked the start of Baby Loss Awareness Week. Oliver Gill was 24 weeks old when he lost his life to cancer on Christmas Day 2010. Since then, his parents, Andy and Jennifer, through the charity Love Oliver, have raised well in excess of half a million pounds to fund research into childhood cancers and to provide much-needed emotional and practical support for families affected by these terrible illnesses. The Prime Minister will know having met them in 2016 what a remarkable couple they are. Will she join with me today in thanking them for all that they have done and continue to do?
1: Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, it's very good of him to raise this issue and also I would like to pay tribute to other members across this House who have have put a clear Emphasis on this issue and ensured that uh, in Baby Loss Awareness Week and outside Baby Loss Awareness Week, we recognise the tragedies that take place, sadly, take place, and the circumstances for too many families in this country. And I'm very happy to pay tribute to his constituents and the amazing work that they have done in raising the funds that he has referred to. This is something we don't want to see anybody having to face and having to, to deal with that out of such a terrible tragedy has come the good of that fundraising which can help others, I hope that his constituents are proud of what they have done. James Heapy.
0: Oh, thank you, yeah, Mr Speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. In, uh, in Somerset, we have been working for years to pay down the huge debts left by the Lib Dems when oh. they last ran oh. Oh. Essential services are now having their funding withdrawn. Will the Prime Minister meet with me and Somerset colleagues to discuss this challenge? And will she look favourably on our bid to fully retain business rates from April 2019?
1: Can I, can I say to uh, my honourable friend that uh, obviously uh, I understand that the issue around the business rates and the, the uh, uh, bids that he's referred to from Somerset and others are being currently looked at and being uh, being assessed, and a decision will be announced alongside the local government finance settlement later this year. I am um, uh, sure that the Minister in MHCLG will be willing to meet with my hon. Friend and others to discuss this further. I can say to my hon. Friend that I have already received representations from a Somerset Member of Parliament on this, uh, on this particular issue, and I think it's, uh, and, but I am sure MHCLG Ministers will be happy to sit down and discuss the details with right. my hon. Friend.
2: Oh, Mr Speaker, in 2010,
4: the national debt after the crisis of the banks stood at seven £168 billion. Now that the Tories have been in 10 years, albeit five years with the wishy washy Liberals, (laughs) can the Prime Minister tell the House what the debt is today? Yes.
1: What can I say to the uh, honourable gentleman. He raises the issue of debt, and it's an important issue to raise. What this government is doing is seeing that we will actually yes, we will actually doesn't need to ask me the question if he's got the figure already. What this government is doing is ensuring that debt is going to fall. And what we crucially have seen what we crucially have seen is a reduction in our deficit of three quarters sitting under this Conservative government. But the honourable gentleman lo- shouldn't look quite so pleased with himself when he starts to think about what a Labour government would do to our debt in the future, which is take us back to that. Uh.
2: James Gray. Mr. Speaker, the one hundred and twenty soldiers who will march into the north door of Westminster Hall straight after pmqs are actually representing the three thousand who are currently deployed in twenty eight different countries around the world and i 'm delighted that the Prime Minister and I hope colleagues from across the House and staff from around the palace will be there to welcome them and to thank them for all they do. but will they also at that time remember two lots of people first. The families without whose support their deployment would not be possible. Second, those who are returning from overseas injured both mentally and physically. And thirdly, those comrades who will never return.
1: Yes. Uh, can I can I say to my hon. Friend that he puts his point extremely well. Of course, we are proud of everything that our servicemen and women do, and we will be pleased, I and other members of this House will be pleased, to welcome those servicemen and women and to give that thanks and, and, uh, to them in the way that we can here in this House. But he is absolutely right. We should never forget the families who, who of those uh, servicemen and women, and we should ensure that we are supporting those families. We should also recognise the importance of supporting supporting those who do return with injuries, some of those injuries of course physical and some mental. And ensuring that we recognise both physical and mental injuries is important, and we should never forget those who have laid down their lives for our freedom and for our security. Thank you. I'm sure the whole House will have been horrified at the sight of mothers feeding their chicks with plastic to death because of the tonnes of waste that we pump into our oceans every day. We must take urgent action on this, but our waste system is broken. Will the Prime Minister commit today to working with me to stop this tide? Yeah. Right, right, so, the she's raised a very important issue. This question of plastics is one which the government is taking extremely seriously, as she will know. We have uh, measures in our 25-year environment plan in relation to uh, elimination a pledge to eliminate all uh, avoidable plastic waste, microbeads and straws, for example. There are shortcomings in the current regulations around plastic recycling, and how we incentivise better design of packaging and material choices. And we'll be consulting later this year on our proposals. And of course, we will look at any ideas that come from from uh, members of this house as to how we can ensure that we are dealing with the scourge of plastic.
4: Taunton-Dean has just won an award for her commendable work on speech and language services, so she should be a celebrated denizen of the House. Rebecca Powell.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. The question actually isn't, I'll save a question about that for later, but this question, (laughs) Mr. Speaker, uh, as the Prime Minister will know, the Agriculture Bill comes to the Chamber today, and it's a great opportunity to rethink our land use policy and the way we run everything about our land. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it demonstrates that this Government is leading the way on supporting a sustainable, biodiverse environment, supporting our farmers and food producers, and our rural communities, especially those in (laughs) Taunton-Dean. Well, can can I congratulate my Honourable Friend and commend her for all the work that she does on issues relating to the environment? She's absolutely right. Leaving the European Union, leaving the Common Agricultural Policy enables us to take another look at our support for farmers and their use of the land, and to ensure that as we do that we are looking at uh, issues such as the impact on the environment and that we are able to ensure that we do see not just that sustainable environment and biodiversity that, she, that my honourable friend has referred to, but also that we are a, a generation that leaves the planet in a better state than we found it.
4: Gins! you, Mr Speaker. Uh, we have heard this week that the world is facing ecological and human disaster from climate change, and that radical transport reforms are vital for our future. Will the Prime Minister therefore give her personal support to the proposed GB Freight Route Rail Scheme, which would take some 5 million lorry
3: journeys off our roads each year? Cutting thousands of tonnes of CO2 and other emissions, which are contributing to global warming and poisoning the air we breathe.
1: Well, can I say to the honourable gentleman that he makes a very important point about the need for us to ensure that we're getting uh, freight off our roads and uh, onto the uh, onto the railways. There are real benefits for doing that, both for the environment but also in relation to congestion. Um, and, of course, we are investing more money in the strategic freight uh, network. I will have to look into the specific proposal that he has uh, raised, but I can assure him that the, the principle of ensuring that we're encouraging freight onto our rail and off our roads is a good one.
0: Thank you, Mr. And the House will have heard the uh, Japanese
4: Prime Minister say that Britain would be welcomed into the TPP with open arms? Does the Prime Minister agree that post-Brexit it would be wonderful if our country could meet Japan's embrace?
1: Can I, say to, can I say to my honourable friend that I was uh, obviously I've spoken to the Japanese Prime Minister about this issue, as I have spoken to uh, to other Prime Ministers of countries involved in the CPTPP. I'm very pleased that they want to welcome us into that uh, trade agreement with open arms, and we stand ready to do exactly that.
0: was Karen Buck. Thank you,
1: Mr. Speaker. Last week, a judge was unable to make a secure accommodation order for a young man involved in gangs with psychiatric problems and at serious risk of harm. The judge said an opportunity to help him and keep him safe was lost. Like many colleagues, I am dismayed, frustrated, and outraged, and deeply worried that we will have blood on our hands. On World Mental Health Day, will the Prime Minister guarantee that she will investigate this case, make sure action is taken, and guarantee no other vulnerable children will be left in such a terrible situation in future? I'm sure we're all concerned by the uh, particular case that the Hon. Lady raises. My right hon. Friend, the Secretary of State for Health, will be happy to meet the Hon. Lady to discuss that particular case and to look at the issues that it raises. We do want to ensure that support is available there for vulnerable people, particularly for vulnerable young people. And as I say, my right hon. Friend will be happy to meet her to discuss it.
0: Um, Mr. Speaker, The effect of the recent tsunami, earthquake and
3: volcano at Palu in Indonesia's Sulawesi Islands has been devastating, and the welcome response from our Embassy and International Development Department includes two RAF, A400M aircraft and supplies, and a team of humanitarian workers out there now. Quite a friend right. in need, is a friend indeed. Would my right honourable friend join me in sending our condolences to President Jokowi, our thanks to British citizens and JCB for their help, and would she encourage DFID to do even more, including extending matching the funding from the DEK Indonesia tsunami appeal?
1: Can I say to my honourable friend that he has raised uh, again this very important issue which was referred to by the Leader of the Opposition uh, uh, earlier on. and Of course, our condolences go to all those who have lost loved ones in this terrible disaster that has taken place, and to those who have been affected in whatever way by this disaster. We commend all those who have been working uh, there to bring support, to bring aid, to bring help to those who are affected, um, and recognise the significant contribution that has been made by British volunteers, British companies, and by our, our armed forces. And uh, the Department for International Development has already made some commitments in relation to the matching funding of the, uh, of the money that DEC is, uh, DEC is raising, but will of course be continuing to look at what support it can give. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister please update the House on progress made to appoint an independent panel panel members for the inquiry, as agreed with, among others? The Muslim Council of Britain on Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that issues relating to any particular concerns or allegations that have been raised in the Conservative Party are properly investigated, are properly considered. We have done that through our uh, uh, new code of conduct that we have introduced. Every complaint that has been made is being or has been investigated and appropriate action has been taken, including, in some cases, suspending and expelling members. But we are also taking some further steps. We are working in conjunction with Talmama, making diversity training more widely available and improving how local associations deal with complaints. There should be no place in this country for discrimination and it is right that as a political party we are working to ensure that we take action when uh, when there are any complaints that are made about those within our party.
4: Thank you very much indeed Mr Speaker. In March colleagues and I met with the Prime Minister to discuss sleeping shifts and I thank her very much for her focus and I appreciate that Ministers are still in discussion since the Court of Appeal have ruled to not uphold the unison case. But in the absence of clarity, some local authorities are now reverting back to paying the single through the night rate. Whereas we have rightly said that people should be paid national minimum wage. Please could I ask the Prime Minister and the Ministers to really tackle this as urgently as possible. Also I'm not sure that HMRC are interpreting the Court of Appeals ruling either.
1: Um, can I say to my honourable friend, she's obviously raised an important issue which has, she and others have raised on a number of occasions across, uh, in this House previously. Secretary of State for Health and Social Care is looking urgently at this issue but there is a, a case before, as I understand it, going to the Supreme Court Uh, in relation to to this matter and, of course, uh, we will have to consider any outcome that comes out of uh, court proceedings.
4: Chris Bryant. In a few minutes' time, uh, 57 members of all political parties will be launching an important new report on acquired brain injury. This is a hidden epidemic which affects more than 1.3 million people in our country On average, every single primary school class in this country will have at least one child who has a brain injury in it, sometimes unaware. The good news is that if we get good rehabilitation to every single person, we can actually save the NHS £5 billion a year. So I asked the Prime Minister, will she meet with me and others involved in the group? And I do mean her. Because whilst I understand um, that she often wants other ministers to meet on her behalf and she's very busy, this actually affects our prisons, our schools, our armed forces, the whole of government. (laughs) We can save lives. We can give people better quality of life, but we can only do it if we join the doctor.
1: Can I say to the right hon. Gentleman that that he speaks with passion about this issue, and rightly this is an important issue. And it is one which I will will ensure that he is able to uh, bring that information and bring that information Appropriately to ministers, uh, appropriately to ministers, this is. But what I would say to him is, he makes a point which covers not just this issue but other issues in government too, uh, which is where my right honourable friend, the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, is working to ensure that across issues like this, we do see that joined-up nature between government departments to ensure that the right action is being taken
4: from a sedentary position, meet with you—it seems to be his preferred mantra of the day—and doubtless it will now be recorded in the official report. Mr. Charlie Elphick, the Prime Minister, share uh, my concern that drugs-related deaths in Kent have doubled in the last three years, and the rise of county lines uh, operations I mean there are now 48 separate gang operations in Kent. Does she agree with me that it is important for the Home Office to put more priority in making sure we win the war on drugs? Yeah. yeah.
1: Can I say to my honourable friend that he has raised a very important issue? Um, I understand that a new coordination centre is being set up to ensure that the work which the National Crime Agency has been leading in relation to county lines—that um, we do see that proper integration of work between the NCA and between the forces that are involved—I am pleased to say that we saw very recently a case in, I think it was Birmingham, uh, where an individual was sentenced to 14 years imprisonment for having effectively enslaved three children uh, on this uh, uh, to sell drugs for them as part of this uh, 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 county lines approach that is being taken, and pleaded guilty to that modern slavery. But we recognise this has been a growing problem, and the Home Office is taking
4: action. Mr Speaker. Nearly 70% of all children excluded from school have special educational needs or a disability, and a fifth of all children excluded are done so with the reason cited for their exclusion as other. Other is a category of exclusion for which no further information is held. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this national crisis unfolding is totally unacceptable? Will she commit to stopping the use of this category that encourages off-rolling in our schools and press Ofsted to ensure that its new framework supports and encourages inclusive schools and an education for all our children. Yeah. Uh,
1: what, what we want to ensure is that for every child they are in the right school setting that is going to be right for them. Um, for many those children with special educational needs it will be a mainstream school, for others it will be in a special school. I recognise the point that the Honourable Gentleman is making about exclusion. Uh, we do have a concern about exclusions, which is why uh, uh, a review of exclusions is being undertaken, uh, led by uh, my uh, former colleague in this house the former member for current Nantwich who as children's minister has a took a particular interest in this area and we will look carefully at the result of that review
0: thank you